Yeah, if you're expecting me to come out and say happy Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving, but <laughs> I wanted just to take this Sunday and next Sunday to talk about something terribly important, and I think that most of you would say that you would love to see, and that would be a spiritual awakening in our culture. If you would like to see a spiritual awakening in our culture, would you say amen? amen. Me too. But I want to talk with you today about what that might look like, what that is, also next week to go further into this. Uh, because this is something that should capture our imaginations. And as you hear those questions there, it's easy when you get online to get cynical because, oh my goodness, I'm worried about where our country is politically. I'm worried about the economy. We have so much immorality. And then you, that's just nationwide stuff. Then you take it more close to home. I'm worried about my workplace. I don't like where I work. I don't like my neighbors. I don't get along with my family. I've got to have Thanksgiving with them. You see where I'm going with this. And where on earth should we land? And what should be our mindset? And what does it mean to pray for spiritual awakening? What are we praying for anyway? Well, today, I want to talk with you about that. Because the Bible is very clear about it. And it's going to be interesting because we're going to open up this little two-week series here. Looking at a passage of Scripture that was written down 2,500 years ago. An Old Testament prophet by the name of Ezekiel. You're going to find this fascinating. Let me have a word of prayer for us. Heavenly Father, we're not the first people to be challenged with praying for spiritual awakening. In fact, the message that we're going to look at today from your word is 2,500 years old. And so, Lord, we're asking you to speak to us today an old passage, but it's as relevant as anything we're going to find online. And I pray, Lord, that you'd quicken our hearts and you'd remind us that you want people to come to you. Spiritual awakening is always on your mind. And so today, Lord, I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way and you'll put it on our minds too. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. I want to thank everybody who's joining us online, too. Uh, I'm glad you're along, but for us to make sense of the passage we're about to read, it's important to give you a little historical context. God's desire has always been to create a people that he could call his own. Um, when he chose Abraham to bless, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants. and they'll be, I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. He wasn't kidding. And so as the Israelites were freed from slavery and moved into the promised land. Um, God gave them clear directions. And he said, I want you to be my people. And I want you to love me with all your heart. Because if you do, then the rest of the world will see that there's a real God in heaven. Because if you trust me and follow my instructions for you and depend upon me and pray to me about all your needs, then I'll take care of your, I'll give you good crops and I'll give you children and I'll bless you above any other nation on earth. And the whole world will know that I, there's a real God in heaven who really answers prayers because the rest of the nations around them all worship little statues and indulge in all kinds of immorality and all sorts of wicked practices that brought pain and suffering into their lives. So as the people lived in the promised land, generation after generation, they got further and further and further away from the Lord. And the Lord would send prophets, people like Ezekiel, whom he would speak to them, sometimes through a vision, sometimes through a dream, 
Sometimes just do a clear word out loud. Tell them, here's a message I want you to go give to a king or to give to a group of people or to give to some leaders. And he would tell them what to say, and they would speak on God's behalf. And that's what it meant to prophesy, was to speak a word that God himself had given you. It could be about the future, about immorality, it could be about a message of repentance, whatever it was. And so God would speak to his people. But even though God had warned them, you're drifting away, you need to come back, you need to come back or else I'm going to have to punish you and discipline you as a people, they wouldn't listen. And so by the time Ezekiel is born, um, about 500 B.C., a little before that, there's, uh, or 600 B.C., there's, there's been a, uh, a complete uh, turning away from God. And it's important for us to understand that when he comes on the scene, God is now deporting people away in, where he's taking them away from uh, the promised land. Babylonians have been given authority by God to come in and invade the land, and they come in in three different waves. In the first wave, they take away the best and the brightest. Daniel was one of those people, the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Uh, then you come in another wave a few years later, 10,000 more people were taken, and Ezekiel was one of them. And he was a young man who was a priest in training. He was about 25 years old, and he'd been trained to be a priest in the temple in Jerusalem, and now he was dragged away to Babylon, and there were no temples worshiping the true God. And after he'd been there in Babylon for about five years, the Lord appeared to him in a vision. He was sitting by a, the Kibar River outside a refugee camp. He had just turned 30, and that was when priests normally started their duties. And um, one day the Lord appeared to him in a vision. And he said, I'm calling you to be my prophet. And he gave him insights into what he was doing. And he wanted to tell all the rest of the refugees he'd been carrying off to Babylon, hey, this is what the Lord's doing. This is because you turned away as a people. You've turned away from me. And this is my discipline upon you. And it's not going to be short. And it's not going to be easy. But one day I'll bring you back to this land. And I'm going to give you these visions. I want you to communicate these visions to these people, to my people there, so they'll know what's going on. Because God wanted to be their God, and he wanted them to be his people, even while they were in captivity. And so today, you're going to hear a prophecy that God gave to this man, Ezekiel. And this is the prophecy of hope, that one day God's people will return to the land. But what you have to understand is, by the time this prophecy was given, Israel, the whole nation had been deported, basically. Just a few people had been left behind. The city of Jerusalem, the capital city, had been burned to the ground. The temple that Solomon had built had been completely destroyed. And the people were utterly demoralized. They wondered if God would ever be able to love them or would ever bless them again. And Ezekiel's given a vision to remind them that God not only loved them, but he planned to bring them back as a people to that land and that he would create a great spiritual awakening within them. So listen now to a prophecy. This is a vision that was given to Ezekiel. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. And then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, 
You alone know the answer to that. That's a pretty good answer. I mean, God was taking Ezekiel to a place. Remember, he's a spokesman for God to the people that are in captivity. There's another prophet, Jeremiah, who is speaking to the people who have been left behind in, in the land of Israel. But he's over there to these people now who are in Babylon. And he's going to have to go and talk to these people that even though they feel like dried out bones, there's going to be hope for them again. And so God gives him this amazing vision. He's walking over bones. I mean, if you can imagine crunching over human bones and skulls and all this. And he says he walks them all around. Can these bones live again? I mean, God didn't give him a vision of a person who was mortally wounded, who had a gaping wound in his side, and say, son of man, can this guy get better? That's not what he gave him a picture of. He gave him a picture of dried out bones. I mean, if you're a Princess Bride fan, they were more than mostly dead, okay? They were completely dead, okay? These were bones that were dried out, dead. And from a human perspective, no, there was nothing that could be done. And so Ezekiel wisely answers, well, Lord, you know. And then the Lord uh, told him this. He said, then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'm going to put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I'm going to put breath into you and you'll come to life. And then you'll know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley because the bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. I mean, the thigh bone connected to the hip bone. The hip bone. Hip, that's, by the way, that's where that song comes from, right here. really does. Fun fact to know and tell. Anyway, then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and the skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. And so this is a picture that goes all the way back to Genesis where God had formed Adam from the clay of the earth and the body was formed. And then it says that God breathed life into Adam and he became a living being. His spirit came into him. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. Speak this, come, O breath, from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life, and they stood on their feet, a great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They're saying we've become old, dry bones. All our hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore I prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O oh, my people, I'll open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, oh, my people, you'll know that I'm the Lord. I'll put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you'll know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Man, he was given a word of hope to people who were hopeless. He was given a word of hope that God could restore things that were dead. God could bring them back to life again. And so today, when you hear that story, I mean, this was something that Ezekiel was going to have to share with people who'd given up all hope. There's no hope for our nation. 
What nation? The temple's been burned down. The capital city's been destroyed. The king was carried off in chains. We don't have a king of our own. We don't have a land of our own. We don't have a temple of our own. What are you talking about, Ezekiel? And Ezekiel's going to tell him, no, you have to understand, God is eternal, and he's working things in a way that's amazing because nothing is impossible for the Lord. And more than that, he's not just going to bring us back as a, as a nation. He's going to put his spirit in us, and there's going to be a spiritual awakening that happens. He's going to give us new hearts so we can be his people, and he will be our God because that is God's desire. I will be your God, and you will be my people. This is always God's desire, that we love him first and foremost with all of our hearts. So with this story in mind, I want to give five applications, I think, that you and I can, if you open up your outline here, five ways this story applies to us if we want to see spiritual awakening. We all said at the beginning, hey, we'd like to see it. Well, here's five things that I think matter then. First of all, if we want to see spiritual awakening, we must believe that God is life and he can bring dead things back to life. So here's a question on the floor this morning. Do you believe that God can bring dead things back to life? Man, that is just so lame. We can do much better than that. Do you believe with all your heart that God can bring dead things back to life? Yes. Well, you better, because all of us are going to face death one day, and our hope through Jesus Christ is that when our mortal bodies die, he's going to give us a new body in heaven that will never die again, and we believe this. Jesus rose from the tomb. It matters that God is stronger than death. This is what was so important when Jesus stayed where he was a few days after he'd heard that a friend of his, Lazarus, was sick. He stayed where he was until after Lazarus had died. And by the time he got to Lazarus' hometown, uh, where Lazarus was buried, four days had passed. And Mary, one of Lazarus' sisters, came up to Jesus, or Martha, one of Jesus' sisters, came up to him and said this, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, well, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. I mean, he'll rise when everyone else rises on the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And if I'd have kept going, she says, yes, I do. But what's funny is, is then Jesus went out to the tomb where her brother was buried. It was a cave with a rolling stone rolled in front of it. And he told him, roll the stone away, because he's going to raise him from the dead right then. And Martha, the one who just said she believed that Jesus was the resurrection and the life, ran up to him and said, Jesus, don't roll away the stone. By now, he smells terrible. In the King James Version, it's been four days, Lord. By now, he stinketh. <laughs> A lotteth. Okay? And she didn't want the last memory of her brother to be a putrid odor. And Jesus turned to her and he said, Martha, didn't I just tell you that you'd see God's glory if you believe? And he told Lazarus to come out, and the dead man came out. And it says that everybody was in awe. God can bring dead things back to life again. Amen. And we have to believe that or else... Why are we praying for spiritual awakening? Secondly, we have to understand this. If we want spiritual awakening, it's important to remind ourselves 
That it, if we believe that, if we want that, we must believe that everyone is spiritually dead apart from a personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, this is just true. Everyone needs Jesus. Listen to Ephesians 1. Paul said, and he's talking about people like you and me, believers, Christians. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the sons in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. We were spiritually dead until Jesus came into our lives, changed us from the inside out, gave us brand new hearts, and placed his spirit inside of us. And we have to believe that that's the condition of everyone. And that's why everyone needs Jesus. Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Can we read this out loud together, please? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is true. This is how we get new life. We're born again. And everyone on earth needs to know Jesus in order to have new life. If I'm praying for spiritual awakening, I'm praying that people will come to Jesus. And everyone in the world needs Jesus. We need to know this because think about the last two things I've just told you. These things are so politically incorrect in our culture today. First of all, atheism is an all-time high. We don't believe necessarily there even is a God, and we certainly don't believe that God raises the dead, that he can bring dead things back to life. Secondly, we don't believe that everybody needs Jesus. I mean, whatever works for you, that's what's correct. But the truth is, Jesus is the one who is stronger than the grave. Everyone needs Jesus. Now, if I'm praying for spiritual awakening, I'm, I've got to pray about those things. I say, God, would you remind me that you really can bring dead things back to life again? Because I know spiritually dead people, and sometimes I give up on them. I mean, sometimes I can watch the news. Sometimes I can get online. I can give up on our culture. I could give up on people in my workplace. I could give up on people in my family, and so could you. There's no hope for them. They'll never change. God himself couldn't change his heart. And praise God, people didn't write me off. Jesus saved me. Thirdly, I have to believe this. If I want to see spiritual awakening, we must believe that God wants to give new life to people who are spiritually dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. That this is God's desire, that he really wants people to come to him that we're not imposing our beliefs on them. Well, I just don't I think I don't think we should impose our beliefs on other people. I mean, they've got their beliefs and our beliefs. Well, first of all, God can bring dead things back to life. Secondly, the only way that God can bring dead things dead people back to life and give them new spiritual life is through Jesus. Thirdly, this is God's great desire. This is what he wants to do. This is what he had told Ezekiel in a chapter right before the Valley of Dry Bones. He said, "This is what I'm going to do." Oh, by the, and I'll come back to the wind thing in a minute. 
Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. That's what the people had done. They had turned away from God for decades and centuries, and that's why they were undergoing God's judgment. And he said, I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stubborn, stony heart, and I'll give you a new, tender, responsive heart. And if you're going to underline any sentence in this whole outline, underline that one. Because this is what it is when you come to Jesus. He takes out our stubborn, stony heart, and he gives us a new, tender, responsive heart. And if that's good news to you today, would you say amen? Amen. There are people in our culture who are just consumed with doing the wrong thing because they have stubborn, stony hearts. Their minds are blinded against the truth, and they're just pray for the devil. He can lead them wherever he wants them to go. And they make bad decision after stupid decision after foolish endeavor, and they suffer pain and horrible consequences, and it breaks God's heart because he wants all of us to have a new heart that anyone who come to him, anyone who will come to him can have a new life. When you come to Christ, this is what happens. Your eyes are open. You go, oh, I need this. I've been such a fool. Hmm. Take out your stubborn, stony heart. I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart, and then I'll put my spirit in you so you'll follow my decrees, and you'll be careful to obey my regulations. You won't be led around by the devil anymore. And you'll live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago, and you'll be my people, and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. There it is again. This is God's heart. That's what he wants for you and me, to be his people. He'd be our God. We'd be his people. We'd want to sing his praises. We want to obey his word. We want to lift our requests to him in prayer because we're confident he's going to answer. Peter was talking about how much this is God's desire, 2 Peter 3, 9. Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Just a couple of weeks ago, somebody was asking me, there's so many horrible things happening in our world. They go, man, it's easy for me to think that this is the end times. Why do you think God hasn't come back already? And I read him that verse. You know why he hasn't come back already? Because there are still people who need to come to him, who need to repent of their sins and come to Jesus. Let's review. God can bring dead things back to life again. Everybody needs Jesus. We have new spiritual life through the Holy Spirit that's only made possible when we confess our sins and allow Jesus to pay, that we accept the gift that he has paid for us on the cross. Then God places his Holy Spirit inside of us and changes us from the inside out. This is what God wants to do. And the reason that he hasn't come back yet is it's not that he forgot where we lived. He knows our address. He's given more time for my neighbor, my coworker, for our nation, for people to come to him. For the dry bones to come back together. There's a fourth thing you and I need to believe. If you and I want to see a spiritual awakening, then we need to believe this. We need to recognize that we have a part to play, and we need to confidently speak the message God has given us to proclaim. Look, you could easily read this story about you know, Ezekiel in Babylon 25, 2,600 years ago. 
and go, what does that have to do with me? I'm no Old Testament prophet. I'm not sitting by some river and next to a refugee camp in Babylon. No, we're not. But we are Christians living in our community in a nation that has been turning away from God faster and faster every year. And there are people all around us who need to hear the message that God has given us. He didn't give us a prophetic message for ancient Israel. He has given us good news for sinners who live in our time. And that's this, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come to Jesus. He'll forgive you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you hope. He'll give you joy and peace and meaning. Come to Jesus. This is the message he has given us. Ezekiel had the message God gave him. This is the message for you and me. Come on, John. I mean, you're making too much out of this. No, I'm not. Listen to what he told the disciples in Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Yeah, but John, that's you. You're a preacher. I'm not a preacher. Well, if it's going to be everyone, then I can't do it by myself. And by the way, To preach is to proclaim, to deliver the message. Well, there are people in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your sphere of influence, your school, that you could talk to about Jesus. They'd never give me the time of day. But they'll listen to you because you've got a relationship with them. They'll talk to you. You're the perfect person to tell them about Jesus. And I'm the perfect person to tell people about Jesus when I have the opportunity. This platform at this church, this is the opportunity God has given me right now. I don't want to make the most of it. And if you feel kind of intimidated, let me give you three things that will encourage you. First of all, the good news is powerful all by itself. Gospel is powerful. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Do you know we tell people the good news about Jesus? The Holy Spirit energizes that, and God will convict hearts even if we stumble and bumble through it, and we go, I didn't do that very well. It's not up to you and me. It's up to the Holy Spirit energizing the Word of God. The gospel is powerful. If that's good news, would you say amen? amen. Secondly, you and I need to be ready to proclaim the good news anytime, anywhere. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word of God, be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Paul reminded Timothy, hey, this is good news for people, and you might get to share it at a time when you think this is the least likely time to do so. But since it's powerful, it's okay. Just be available. Just be ready. Because thirdly, we can't make people respond anyway. It's all up to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That's Jesus in John 6, 63. It's not up to me. I just have to be faithful to share the good news when I have the opportunity. About 15 years ago, I mean, you heard earlier in the announcements that we've got a men's event coming up here in December at the Lower Rotumpka Shotgun Club. And uh, I've got a I'm looking forward to being with you all that day for the men who are coming that day. But I spoke there about 15 years ago at an event where a fellow was uh, dying of cancer. And he went and rented out the whole thing and invited a bunch of his friends to come for a free round of sporting clays. He said, John, I want you to be there. I don't have long in this world, and I want to make sure all these men hear the gospel. And so I want you to come and speak to them. you got 20 minutes, and then we're going to go 
shoot guns. I go, so I got 20 minutes. You invite an audience that doesn't know me, and they all have firearms with live ammo in them. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> so he said, just make sure you end on time. Oh, you got it. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I go out there, and I do my best to proclaim the gospel. He shares he doesn't have long to live, and I tie it together, present the gospel. If anybody wants to talk to me, that's great. Everybody left and went and shot sporting clays, and I was driving home, called my wife. How'd it go? It's like, you know, this is in season and out. This is kind of an out-of-season thing, I think, 15 years ago. Fast forward 10 years, about five years ago, a fellow comes to see me in my office here on Cobbs Ford Road. He's got all kinds of issues going on in his life. He said, I need to talk to you. He said, I don't know that I believe in God, and I'm certainly not a part of a church. And I go, well, look, we're in this little shopping center here and other things. This may not look like a church, but I'm the pastor of a church, and I do believe in God, and I do believe that you should be a part of a church. And he goes, yeah, I know. And I go, so you're struggling with all this. Why would you come talk to me? He goes, well, do you remember about 10 years ago you spoke at this meeting at Lower Tumpka Shotgun Club? I don't know if anybody else was listening, but I worked there that day, and I was standing in the back corner. I don't even know if you noticed me. But I need to talk to you about things in my life because I've never forgotten anything you've said. The gospel is powerful. Whether I think it's working or not, you and I just need to be faithful. The Holy Spirit's going to work in people's hearts. Finally, one last thing here. If you and I really want spiritual awakening, if you and I want to see this, then we need to keep praying for spiritual awakening, not give up hope. There's a marvelous verse in Isaiah 62. You may never, verses, well, it's two verses, verses 67. Isaiah was a prophet. God had told him all about the same sort of things that he told Ezekiel would come upon his people. And Isaiah was praying about it. And listen to what Isaiah said. Oh, Jerusalem, I've posted watchmen on your walls. And they will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work. I love that. Isaiah is going, look, the Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do. And we're going to count on the fact that he's going to bring his people back here one day. And he's going to put new hearts in people. And he's going to lead them to a right relationship with him. And he said, I'm going to put people on the walls and they're going to pray about that. And I'm going to tell them. Pray and pray and pray. Our hope is in the Lord. Our hope that it is that he can change hearts of people that we can't change. We may not even like. I mean, there's people we could disagree with so much on social issues, on political issues, on economic issues. And the question is, do I want to pray for them or do I want God to smite them? Whatever smiting involves. God, I don't want you to put a new heart in them. I want you to get rid of them. I hate them. Hey, you want to come to church with me? No. You know where people do want to come to church? These are people I disagree with completely. But you know what? The Lord saved me, and I was in open rebellion against him. If he can change my heart, then I'm going to pray that he'll change their stubborn, stony hearts. I'm going to keep praying. We're confident he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. 1 John 5, 14. 
That's the wind. The Old Testament word for wind is ruach. It means the breath of God. It means the wind. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can see where he's been, but you don't know where he's going. I don't know where he's going this week. He may go right into the right up to the door of that person that I can't stand, the person who's been giving me such a hard time at work, the people that I disagree with completely politically, and he might open their eyes. And what if they repented? What if there was a massive wave of repentance in our culture today because those of us who are Christians were praying about this? I mean, let me ask you a question here. If we add up the total number of minutes that I prayed for a spiritual awakening in America to happen this last week, how many minutes would it be? And if we spend no time praying for spiritual awakening, do we really want it to come? We're going to pray here. We're going to ask God to bring a spiritual awakening. But I want us to pray like the watchman on the walls. We give God no rest. Do you know we, want, we pray the Lord's Prayer? Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, he told his disciples, pray this way. Father, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's this. This is God's will. I'm giving more time for people to repent. Tell them about me. Tell them that I love them. Tell them what I did in your heart. I forgave you. I took out your stubborn, stony heart and I gave you a sensitive heart. I'm guiding you now. Tell them. This is our Father's heart. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, I thank you this week we have a holiday. Many of us have multiple days off this week and I pray that at least part of that time we will use to get on our knees and confidently pray to you and say, oh God, I know this is your heart. This is your will. God, I pray that you'd remind me that people need spiritual awakening. And I thank you, Lord, that it's not up to me. I just have to be obedient. All Ezekiel needed to do was speak the words and the bones came back to life. All he had to do was speak the words and the wind blew and life entered the dead bodies. Oh God, I want that. I want a spiritual awakening in our city and in our state and in our nation. I want you to move, Lord. I want people to come to you. I want thousands upon thousands of people in our nation to turn to you. I want churches to be full. I want Bible studies to be packed. I want people to renounce their sin. I want marriages to be restored and addictions overcome. I want a spiritual awakening, Lord. You can call dead things back to life. You can forgive sin. You can give people new hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is your chief desire. Make it my desire, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for the promise of new life in his name. Thank you for waiting to return until as many as will ever come have come.
Remind me to pray. Give me courage to speak. Whether times are easy or hard. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.